I'm Kim. And I'm so excited right now. You were ridiculously excited. So for our listeners, you guys, I think, have caught on to the point that you know that we like to do research when it comes to our topics. Kim is like the ultimate researcher of finding things deep within the bowels of the internet and also old newspapers. But mostly newspapers. I love I love my old newspapers. <laughs> I can just imagine like people think that you just sit at home with like piles of newspapers and you like highlight everything. I mean that that is fairly accurate. <laughs> I don't quite have that type of obsession. However, I love a good book. I know that you love a good book too, Kim. I do. And the topic for this week is the Bell Witch legend. And the Bell Witch, for those of you that listen to any other like podcasts that are spooky or haunted, you've probably heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, today's your lucky day because... Ooh. I really went down the rabbit hole on this one, guys. <laughs> so basically, the Bell Witch legend is about a sinister entity that tormented a Tennessee family between about 1817 and 1821. So this is like um, vintage ghosts, too, which vintage I Vintage ghosts. Like two, mm-hmm. literally 200 years ago. Yeah. And uh, what's really interesting is this is one of the... I think it's rumored to be the most well-documented haunting. Um in American history, because it's, it's funny, like nobody documented anything for a long time during the time that it happened. Right. Because at the time, the area where this happened, it was in um, what is now Adams, Tennessee. Uh, It was called Red River. That area was just being developed. So there weren't like newspapers there or anything like that. And so it was everything was going on word of mouth, which we know what happens when word of mouth happens. So it's a giant game of telephone. Yes. So disclaimer: <laughs> this is what we're referring to as a legend. However, I don't doubt that these things happened, and I think that with all of the evidence that evidence. Um, you know I've found in the research that I've done, I, I think some shady shit was going on. Mm-hmm. So, and we love a good shady shit moment, don't we, Kim? Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, there's a couple of books that I actually found in doing my research, and I literally read all three of them within a week, which is bonkers because I work a full-time job, and it was holidays, and somehow I managed to read three books at the same time. So that is dedication. Um, that is dedication. One of the books is called Our Family Trouble, and it was actually mm-hmm. written by Richard Williams Bell, who was the son of John Bell. John Bell was killed during the incident of the Bell Witch in 1820. So this is the depiction of how it all went down from his son. I'll give a little bit of history of the family in a bit, but I wanted to give you some context of the documents that I found. So Our Family Trouble was written years after the incident of the haunting and published 56 years after it was written. Within a oh, book. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it wasn't published for a really long time. Oh, why was that? I'll tell you. Okay. So the book that it was published in, though, was called An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch by M.V. Ingram. 
and this is actually a quote from the book. It said, Newspapers were few and far between at the time these events transpired, and there were no enterprising reporters or novelists abroad in the land. Several hmm. writers in later years undertook to compile the story, but could not obtain the authentic details. Williams Bell was the only one who kept a diary of what transpired, which he put in shape in 1846, 26 years after the culmination of the tragic events in the death of John Bell Sr. So, wow. Kind of wild. So he waited 26 years after it happened to write it, and then 56 years it was pub- after that it was published. Wow. So it, nothing was talked about because the family was super sensitive about the topic. And you know it was some serious business going on if nobody wanted to talk about it. And I honestly think it was because of people creating rumors, right? Like what we talk about the game of telephone. Like someone will say something and it's not true and they would get frustrated and they wouldn't want people giving misinformation about what was going on in their lives. So this particular book, Our Family Trouble, was treated as a authentic documented source from the perspective of a person who actually went through everything firsthand. And it's the earliest written version of the Bellwitch story. And it was also discovered by the family of Joel Bell, who was Richard Williams Bell's brother. Say that 10 times fast. So Joel Bell was also the son of John Bell. And Joel Bell's children actually had access to the documentation of the Bell Witch and contacted M.V. Ingram to publish and research specific references of personal accounts of people in the town who were directly connected to the story, which then resulted in the publication of the book An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch. So in this book, it not only has Our Family Trouble written in it in the middle section, but it actually has quoted documentation from people who witnessed things that were going on in that town, in that house. So that's why it's literally titled Authenticated, which I think is really rad. And that's why when we say it's a legend, I'm also like, but all these people saw these things. Right. And they're all the same thing. And multiple people saw them. So It's it's not an Amityville situation. (laughs) No, it's not. It's very much... This was a haunting that was witnessed by the public eye during the time that it happened, which I think is so wild. So the main reason was to dispel rumors. That's why they wanted to publish it and set the record straight. But they chose to publish it mainly after the deaths of most of the people who were involved directly into the haunting. So all of the Bell family members who were physically affected didn't want anything published. So their grandchildren were the ones that published it. And that's why they waited so long. And the Bell grandchildren wanted it to be a source of honesty and truth because they didn't want their family name to have a bad record on it or a bad Mm. mark, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is also a direct quote from the book. It says, it is a strange story. Nevertheless, it is authentic, not only as recorded by Williams Bell, but transmitted to the present generation of the surrounding country through family reminiscences of the most eventful and exciting period of the century, which set hundreds of people to investigating, including General Andrew Jackson, and is recognized in every household as a historical truth. Wow. So, last episode, we talked about Hamilton. Yeah, we did. This episode, 
we're going to talk a little bit about Andrew Jackson. And the story really? is so funny. Oh, my God. So something that I was loving was that not only is this a haunted, like, spooky story and some, like, pretty fucked up shit goes on, but there's also some really funny documentation in it. I'm really excited to get to it. <laughs> I love so, the melodrama of a lot of the older, like, oh, the older accounts of things because that's that's something I found with like, our last couple of cases. It's, oh, it's, so, it's so delightful to read how they wrote things because today it just feels so ridiculous oh for sure but there's also another account that was published and this one's actually really interesting because i found that there was more detail involved in this one that was not explained by the others because you have to keep in mind that richard williams bell was actually like I think between five and seven years old when the hauntings actually went on. So the things that he remembered may not have been as accurate maybe because he was so tiny. He was a little kid, yeah. He didn't see everything or or even maybe fully understand what happened because he was a kid, but he did write it like in his 30s. So it's not like he wrote it as a child, but the memories might have been a little bit askewed, right? Yeah, yeah. So Brett Monahan was connected to the relatives of Richard Powell. Uh, Richard Powell was the teacher of the kids. He was like the local schoolhouse teacher. And he later married Betsy Bell. Um, and who's who I'm sorry, who's Betsy Bell? Oh, thank you for reminding me. Betsy <laughs> Bell is a very important character. She is the daughter of John Bell. She was the, the main person that was affected by the haunting. And I'll tell you more detail about that, but I want you to know where the information came from. So Betsy Bell married Richard Powell eventually, and they had a kid. And Betsy, being the one who was really affected by the haunting, didn't want her children to know about the haunting and Richard Powell wanted to respect that. However, he got really sick later in life and was worried that the ghost would come back after he died because he was kind of like Bessie's protector. And, Uh and so he wrote this huge document and in the document, he literally talked about everything that happened during the haunting from things that he witnessed because he was in the house often. Um, And was very close with John Bell. So he wrote the entire document that then explained to his daughter what transpired and how to handle it. And he literally closed it up, sealed it, and put a letter on top and said, do not open unless I die. Once I die, read this. And left it somewhere for his granddaughter. Somehow, one of his um, late grandchildren later (laughs) found it. Oh, wow. Was connected to actually reached out to Brent Monahan, who was an author and wrote a lot about paranormal things um, and asked him to publish it. And then that book eventually turned into what is now called The Bell Witch, An American Haunting. And Mm. that is where a lot of the inspiration from the movie American Haunting with Mm -hmm. Sissy Spacek and Donald Sutherland came from. So we'll talk about that later. I'll give a little bit more details about that afterwards. But I just wanted to give you some context before I get into it, because literally all the information that I found was from those books. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just looking stuff up based on, like, Wikipedia or, like, random websites. Uh, So for all of our listeners out there, all the information that you're going to be hearing about the Bell Witch is from the source of people that literally went through it and experienced it firsthand. Kind of cool. So... Having said that, let's get into it, shall we? 
So Lucy and John Bell were married in 1782 when John Bell was 32 and Lucy was 12. Oh, gross. Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't let that pass. I'm sorry. 32 and 12. Yep. 12. And apparently Lucy had no issues with it because later she actually encouraged Richard Powell to marry her daughter, Betsy, when Betsy was 13 and uh, Richard was like over 11 years older than her. And she was like, well, that's, that's like nothing compared to me and uh, John Bell because I was 12 and he was 32. I, I like, I, I work with this age group. None of them should get married. I know. And guess how many kids they had. Oh, Are you ready God, for like it? 20? Nah, not that bad. They had six. Originally they had six and then they had three more later. But when they were first married within the few, first few years, they had six children and they actually um, owned a slave family. They had a p pretty big bunch. So they decided that they needed more space. And John Bell moved his family from North Carolina to Red River, Tennessee. He purchased some land and then started to develop it, decided he wanted to be a farmer. On this land, there was a cave. Um, apparently, there were some Native American burial grounds as well, which we'll get into in a bit. But John Bell was someone who was very respected in his community. And this is a quote. His commanding appearance, steadfast qualities, and force of character at once gave him rank and influence in the community. After settling in Tennessee, they ended up having three more children. They had Betsy in 1806, who was who I was referencing earlier, mm -hmm. Richard Williams, who wrote the book I was talking about earlier, and Joel, whose family found his book uh, back in, he was born in 1813. So, so there were th the, the younger childrens were the ones who were kind of around when more of this shady shit was going down. Yes, and actually okay. some of the older children were already out of the house. So weird things started happening outside of the house. Quote, the first evidence of the mystery or the appearance of things out of the ordinary course of events occurred in 1817. Hmm. Mr. Bell, while walking through his cornfield, was confronted by a strange animal, unlike any he had ever seen, sitting in a corn row, gazing steadfastly at him as he approached nearer. He concluded that it was probably a dog, and having his gun in hand, shot at it when the animal ran off. I'm sorry, sir, why are you shooting a stink? You don't need to shoot a dog. However, you know, I just love a good dog moment, a little pop-pop. I, I know. <laughs> um, but apparently this dog was no normal dog, and it popped up a few times. So it also appeared to him, he said, in the form of a black dog, and sometimes it had two heads. And at other times, it had no head. I'm sorry, what? This dog had either too many heads or not a head at all, and it was black, and it was weird-looking. Like, there's so many interesting huh. documentations of this where again legend we don't know what was actually were seen. there i mean because uh, different kinds of animal spirits different kind of animal manifestations have have long been part of different legends including yeah. native american legends mm -hmm. were there any r records in that area or any legends existing in that area predating this or is this fairly not new? that i could find okay there may have been but not documented okay. and Another thing, too, was that it wasn't just the animal, that dog that they saw. So, and John Bell wasn't the only one who saw it. So one of the Bell slaves, Dean, also saw the black dog that John hmm. saw. And then another weird thing happened. Betsy Bell witnessed a young girl in a green dress physically hanging from her arms from a tree branch above her. 
Um, and it's interesting because one book that I read said that only she saw it, and another book that I read said that she and Richard Williams and Joel, all of them saw it. Which, you know, when multiple people see something, then it becomes validated. But they don't right. know who the girl was, where it came from. And later that girl is also referenced in the movie American Haunting, which is interesting. Hmm. Drew Bell was another one of the children. He observed a large fowl. So just a huge bird. He originally hmm. thought it was a turkey, but apparently it was bigger than a turkey. And then it just disappeared and he didn't know where it went and no one could figure out what it was. So it's like weird animals, weird things are popping right. up. People don't understand where they're coming from. Um, also during this time, quote, it was not uncommon to see lights like a candle or lamp flitting across the yard and through the field. And frequently when father and the boys were coming in late from work, chunks of wood and stones would fall along the way as if tossed by someone. But we could never hmm. discover from whence or what direction they came. So hmm. weird, right? So some weird stuff. Weird stuff. I I will say. I yeah. will say the yeah. the scully in me. Yes, please scully. The scully in me, particularly with the animals, like the large fowl. I I mean they're new to the area. Yeah, How many be... different kinds of of birds, or even again, just an abnormally large version of a bird, or two birds flying in sync that appears to be one bird? Particularly, I, lights flitting across the yard. There's there's various things that could rationally explain some of this. For sure, I think I think the rocks and the sticks being like thrown ahead. That's weird. That's yeah. that's strange. Also, the girl hanging from the tree. Like, who is she? Where'd she come from? Why is she hanging from a tree? When. Was she like directly above them or did yes. they see it in the distance? Okay. And she they, was like directly she above a- them. She didn't speak to them. She didn't acknowledge them. And then when they went but, back, she disappeared. But so, see, like, that's where I'm like, did she disappear in front of their eyes or was it just a girl hanging above them from her know. arms? Because again, kids be weird. I've seen some weirder things than that <laughs> the little kids have done. And maybe she was told don't talk to strangers. And so you got a little kid that's just hanging out being like, oh, I wasn't supposed to be playing here. Maybe if I don't move, they'll think I'm part of the tree. (laughs) Well, so you make a good point because they didn't really think anything of these things at the time. Right. Because of all the things you're saying, right? Because yeah. It makes sense to dismiss something like that. But when you start to see multiple things that become weird, there becomes a pattern. and. When it becomes a pattern, then you kind of go, huh, that's odd. Mm-hmm. But you might not acknowledge it right away. So I think what's really interesting, too, is that all this stuff was happening for, like, two years. And mm. John Bell didn't acknowledge any of it. Um, he actually, like, told his wife about it, but told her not to tell the family, told her not to talk about it to anyone. He really wanted to not have, like, a bad name at all or to have someone question his authority. Right. So those are all the things that... Um, went on for about two years and even start talking about like witchcraft that's a oh because uh, yeah. hey. <laughs> that would still have been a fear then you know you don't want to be accused of of having any part of that so it's so funny that you mentioned that you know <laughs> segway segway um so there was more weird stuff that started happening but now it wasn't just outside it started to come in the house Ooh, and this is good. when it started to kind of spook people a bit. Mm-hmm. So this is a quote. It says, it was on a Sunday night, just after the family had retired, a noise commenced in their room, like a rat gnawing vigorously on the bedpost. The noise was accompanied by a scratching sound, like a dog clawing on the floor, and increased in force until it became evidently too strong for a rat. 
The demonstrations continued to increase, and finally the bed covering commenced slipping off the footbeds, as if mm. gradually drawn by someone, and occasionally a noise like the smacking of lips, then a gulping sound, like someone choking or strangling, while the vicious gnawing at the bedpost continued, and there was no such thing as sleep to be thought of until the noise ceased, which was generally between 1 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Occasionally, the sound was like heavy stones falling on the floor, then the trace chains dragging and chairs falling over. Wow. So, you know, that's not so normal. What I also read about, too, is that they, like, turned over their rooms and, like, the beds and went through everything to try to find a rat or a dog or an animal that was making these noises. Something. Anything that would, like, make a gnawing sound. Or they looked at their bedpost. There there were no scratches. Nothing was there. There was no evidence of anything that they heard or saw. Um, They didn't really actually see anything at this point. At this point, it was other than the bed sheets being pulled off of them. Um, But nothing could prove that to be a thing. Like, where did that come from? How did that happen? They couldn't figure it out. Not only did they hear and see things, but the kids themselves started to be attacked. And this was Williams Bell's first personal attack. He said, the family had all retired early and I had just fallen into a sweet doze when I felt my hair beginning to twist and then a sudden jerk, which raised me. It felt like the top of my head had been taken off. Immediately, Joel yelled out in great fright. And next, Elizabeth was screaming in her room. And ever after that, something was continually pulling at her hair after she retired to bed. Hmm. So now it's pulling their hair. That's that's alarming. And literally lifting them up by their hair. Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. That is really hard to debunk, right? <laughs> Pretty hard. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, in terms of, of if it actually happened, yes. There's not a whole lot of rational explanations for somebody getting lifted up by the hair. So this started to go on and John Bell was like, all right, uncle, somebody help me out. I need help with this. I can't handle this by myself anymore. And he had a neighbor named James Johnson. And James Johnson was one of his really close friends. He was a devout Christian and finally was the first one to come over and help the Bells when this was starting to happen. Okay. He was actually the first one to directly address whatever was going on and start to ask it questions. He said, in the name of the Lord, what or who are you? What do you want? And why are you here? And Mm. then immediately after he asked that it was silent, nothing happened. Everything was quiet in the house. And he was like, well, I tried (laughs) and uh, nothing happened (laughs) after that point. However, I would like to point out that later on, once this spirit started to talk, it gave James Johnson the best nickname ever, and I kind of want this to be your nickname since you want one so badly. I want, I want a nickname. It was Old Sugar Mouth. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. And I think it was mainly because he was a super religious dude and he always talked about God, and so it called him Old Sugar Mouth. I don't know. But, like, that was his nickname, and I just thought that was very comical. So, anywho, um, the spirit continued to focus mainly on Betsy, once the activity picked up again, quote, her cheeks were frequently crimsoned by a hard blow from an open hand and her hair pulled until she would scream in pain. So she was going through so much torment that the family was like, I don't know what to do with her anymore. Let's send her to another family's house and see if maybe that stops it from happening. Hmm. But even when she was sent to someone else's house, the activity still happened at the other person's house and it continued within their house simultaneously. 
which is also kind of crazy because how can one thing be in two places at once? Right? Right. Yeah. So that was kind of wild. So Mr. Johnson said that the phenomenon was, quote, beyond its comprehension. It was evidently preternatural or supernatural of an intelligent character. He arrived at this conclusion from the fact that it ceased action when spoken to and certainly understood language. It also communicated by, like, answering in wrappings by, like, knocking on the walls or on a bedpost in Mm. uh, numbers. So if someone would ask it questions of how many people are in the room right now, it would knock to the right amount of numbers. Uh, Mm. So it was actually having intelligent communication. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just um, define preternatural and supernatural for those who don't know. Well, preternatural, in fact, some investigators prefer that term to supernatural uh, because it is used as anything that is uh, beyond what is normal or natural. So anything that is beyond the the normal or natural world um, or what we see as being normal and natural. So it can include things that, um, we don't understand Yeah, where supernatural, uh, is specifically looking at something beyond, um, scientific understanding of the, the laws of nature. Love it. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. So old sugar mouth, Mr. Johnson suggested that he actually can't be the one to just handle all this, that it's pretty nuts that this is getting out of hand and Mm -hmm. that Bell should invite others into the house to be like, look, this shit is real. I need help. And not just like, like (laughs) literally all his neighbors came. It was like, it's so funny because like all the people in the town, and this is how we have so many documentations of people seeing things is that this family literally invited a bunch of people into their house to see what was going on. They had like a ghost party. That's amazing. (laughs) Basically, um, but it was like, come at your own risk because who knows what this ghost is going to do to you or to the family. And it it eventually just kept messing with the family. So unfortunately, (laughs) uh, it just wasn't the greatest thing, but it, it made the family more vulnerable. It made the people that came in more vulnerable and the spirit was like, hell yes, party time. Mm -hmm. It made it go like, oh my God, I'm going to take advantage of these people. So finally, this is a quote, an answer to the question, who are you and what do you want? The reply came, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed and made unhappy. Then followed the question, how are you disturbed and what makes you unhappy? To which it replied, I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby and the grave has been disturbed. My bones disinterred and scattered and one of my Mm. teeth was lost under this house and I am here looking for the tooth. End quote. So the, apparently, the tooth? the tooth. It wants its the tooth, tooth back. It wants its tooth back. Who took so anytime, tooth? anytime you hear a ghost saying, "Hey, I lost my tooth. I want it back." Don't listen. It's fucking Aww. with you. So what apparently, the, what if he wants the tooth fairy to come? Wait, but there's like a legit story that actually is connected to it, which is what made oh. everyone believe it. So this is the crazy <laughs> part. So when part of the land was being cleared, when John Bell was kind of moving and getting things situated, a small mound of graves were found and John Bell assumed it to be a Native American burial ground. So respectfully, he worked around it, didn't disturb the graves. He knew not to mess with it. However, one of the children heard this and told a neighbor friend, who was another great name in the name box for Kim. Yay. Um, the name is Corbin Hall. Uh, 
Corbin is my nephew's name. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So Corbin was a little bit of a mischievous individual, and he was like, oh my god, we gotta go explore. So Corbin suggested that they look for relics, for Native American relics that would be buried with the dead, and in doing so, fully disinterred the bones, and unfortunately oh, didn't find any relics. However, he was like, but I gotta take something, so he took a jawbone, and with that jawbone were teeth, and when he brought the jawbone into the house... One of the teeth fell off and fell through the cracks of the floorboards. And that was the tooth that the spirit was referring to. So because we know that Mm -hmm. something literally actually happened, Mm -hmm. it's because the spirit knew that that happened and was like, I'm going to fuck with them. So John Bell then goes and literally pulls up the floorboards, looks for the tooth, which he doesn't find. And... This is a wonderful quote. The witch then laughed at father, declaring that it was all a joke to fool, quote, old Jack. Hmm. So this is when we're starting to see this is a very mischievous spirit. And thus commenced the spirit fucking with the bells and anyone who wanted answers from it. And the bell witch should now be called the prank queen because this prank queen (laughs) did all the pranks. And this is where we start to see some funny things happening. So apparently, this is a quote, Mm -hmm. Uh, by the way, I'm going to refer to the Bell Witch as Kate, and I'll explain why in a minute. So quote, Kate the Witch never slept, was never idle or confined to any place, but was here and there and everywhere, like the mist Mm -hmm. of night or the morning sunbeams, was everything and nothing, invisible yet present, spreading all over the neighborhood, prying into everybody's business and domestic affairs, caught on to every ludicrous thing that happened and all the sordid avaricious meanness that transpired divining the inmost secrets of the human heart and withal was a great blabbermouth getting neighbors (laughs) by the ears taunting people with their sins and shortcomings and laughing at their folly in trying to discover the identity of the mystery love that wow isn't that a great quote awesome that's a great quote In another instance, it told a group that it was the spirit of an early immigrant who brought over a ton of money, buried it, died before it could be retrieved, and didn't tell anyone where it was before it died. So the spirit then told them if they went to an exact spot near the river, they would find the buried treasure. But if they found it, only Betsy could have it. It was only for Betsy and no one else could touch it. So, of course, the men are like, all right. We got to go. We got to give Betsy this money. So they go to look for the treasure in the exact spot. And of course, did they find anything? No. Sure did not. So this is a lovely quote too. That night, the spirit appeared in great glee, laughing and tantalizing the men for being so easily duped, describing everything that occurred at the spring in the most ludicrous way, end quote. So (laughs) I don't know. I kind of like her. (laughs) She gets better. So it also claimed to be the spirit of a child buried in North Carolina and later told old Sugarmouth <laughs> that it was his uh, stepmother's witch, which I don't even know what that means. Wait, I'm um, sorry, his stepmother's witch, like her own personal witch? I don't know. It just says her stepmother's witch. So apparently Sugarmouth had a stepmom who had a witch or was a witch. So I want to get my own personal witch. I mean, old I'll be Sugar taking Mouth applications <laughs> for my noted. own personal witch. Perfect. So, listeners, you a witch? Hit up Kim. Sugar mouth. Old sugar Sugar mouth. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, moral of the story is clearly she wasn't the most reliable source of truth. Right. (laughs) Um, But 
there was one story that really made everybody believe what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. And that story was about Kate Batts. So Kate Batts was an example of an eccentric woman who ran her family's business because her husband was crippled. She was headstrong. She spoke her thoughts, did not fit into the realm of female expectations of that time. Sound familiar, right? It's kind of similar. Kate and I have this in common. (laughs) Yes. And I think if if Kim and I existed during the time of Kate Batts and maybe the uh, Salem witch trials, we probably would have been burned at the stake because... You know, people don't like when we're outspoken or technically hung. Technically hung. They they didn't uh, actually know. burn witches here. <laughs> Touche. So anyway, while they did not do that to Kate Batts, they didn't really like her very much. So there were rumors that witches collected pins to use on dolls, a la voodoo, um, to inflict pain on people. Kate was known to collect pins, which then made people think she's a witch. Um, superstitious people also believe that witches would never ride horses, which I thought was really funny because apparently the horses won't allow witches on their backs. And instead of transporting on a horse, witches would ride on broomsticks. <laughs> I thought unicorns who wouldn't allow witches on their backs. The Interestingly cool. enough, apparently horses didn't like it. And this is according to one of the books that I researched within. So this they is just what horses they said. Extensively to find out horses' opinions on witches and they just and, weren't having you it. You know, horses and unicorns because unicorns also exist. Um, so anyway, apparently Kate had a perfectly good mare that she would walk with next to wherever she went, but no one ever saw her riding it. And so that created a rumor of the fact that the horse wouldn't let her ride it meant that she was a witch also. So these little rumors started to go around in the town and, you know, some people didn't really like her because she was very outspoken, but sometimes she was really nice. And in one of the books, it actually said that Kate was kind hearted and was a good neighbor to those that she liked. But because she gave those who fought her opinions a hard time, she wasn't liked by most. And this is a really Mm. fantastic quote that I have to share with you. You're going to love this one. So, (laughs) quote, she was a large, fleshy woman weighing over 200 pounds and was headstrong and very exacting in her dealings with men. She was exceedingly jealous of her rights, not always knowing what they were, conceiving the idea that everybody was trying to beat her out of something. Her tongue was fearful. She did not hesitate (laughs) to tackle any man who came under the ban of her displeasure with a scourge of epithets. No one cared to encounter her organ of articulation when she was in a bad humor, and especially the ladies who were generally afraid of her and could not endure her methods and dominating spirit. I'd like to buy her a whiskey. All right. Oh my gosh, is your new nickname going to be Kate Bats? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, this chick sounds awesome. I want to hang out with her. But it gets better. So at okay. one point, she actually caused a huge scene in church. So everyone it. back in the day was like Sold. super religious, right? So right. there was this dude, his name was Joe Edwards, who apparently was like, an alcoholic, had a hard time, was repenting his sins, literally on his hands and knees, begging for repentance in church. And Kate Batts would always be late to church. She didn't care. She showed up whenever she wanted. So, of course, he's going off, yelling and screaming, repenting his sins. And she walks in late, walks right up to him, picks up her skirt and sits on him. (laughs) Like, fully sits down on him. (laughs) Oh, my God, I love her. 
and to be her. <laughs> literally everyone in the church is trying really hard not to laugh, to not disrespect anything. Bunch of people are running out because they're like, I can't handle this. I'm going to lose it. So they're like running outside, cracking up. She's like inviting the laughter. She's trying yeah. to make a bigger scene out of it because she doesn't give a fuck, right? Right. So apparently Richard Powell, who wrote the last book I was talking about was there right. when this happened. So he was talking about it. John Bell was there. John Bell gets pissed and John Bell starts to be very condescending to her. Mm-hmm. And he basically tells her like, what are you doing? Why are you causing a scene? This is unnecessary. This is disrespectful. Right? So, however, John Bell and Kate Batts already had bad blood between them before this even happened. So this is a bit of history that I think is really relevant. I don't think she'd be down with him marrying a 12-year-old. I'm just going to throw that out there. She does not strike me as the type that'd be like, you know what? That was a good idea. You are a good man, Charlie Brown. Well, but he tried to help her at one point. And they were neighbors. But they did have bad blood because what went down was not the coolest. So John Bell actually was convicted of usury in 1818 and it was expelled from the red river baptist church because of it and if you don't know what usury is it's the action of lending money at an unreasonably high rate of interest Uh. so basically like charging someone more than what they agreed upon um so the bats and bells owned adjacent land and when kate bats husband had an accident that made him crippled John offered Kate a sum of money for an unused part of the Bats farm since her husband could no longer tend to it and the Bats would now be in more desperate need of income. So he was actually trying to help her out. But Mm. the agreement stated that John would sell um, the Bats as a slave to help them. But nowhere in the document did he specify the interest, which apparently was way higher than Kate had originally agreed to. And so Kate brought him to court and was like, he's charging me way more than what he agreed upon. And he tried Mm. to make it seem like, well, you have a bad reputation so I can do whatever I want. And that's what caused him to. So was he trying to help her? Was he trying to help himself? I mean, I think he was trying to make it look like he was trying to help her because that's why he didn't document the amount of money. But, but he, there's a big but there. So anyway, there the whole point is that like they really didn't like each other, right? So they already had a bad, bad situation. So when they were at the church and she sat upon that dude and John starts to like <laughs> tell her all the not nice things that he's telling her, <laughs> he basically called her a witch that day and Ooh. she responded, which am I? Then let me offer you a witch's malefaction old John Bell. You may have your broad acres as well as mine purchased at a penitence. You may have your big house and your salubricated health right now, but just wait and see what sad changes shall soon descend upon you and more than you among the bells. Mm. So when the entity Mm. claimed to be Kate Bass's witch, everyone believed it. So this is when everyone started to refer to the spirit and the bell witch as Kate and Mm -hmm. the spirit then from that point on would respond to Kate. They, so if they called her Kate, they'd be like, Hey, what's up? That's me. Hmm. So, I mean, it makes sense. So if you know the context of it, that's why Kate was referenced. So the only person though, that I I think this is really interesting that the bell, which favored was the mom, Lucy bell. And somehow the spirit was all knowing and knew what was happening in towns far away 
down to minute details and communicated things to Lucy in regards to anything that she wanted to know. The spirit even told the family where to find edible berries in the woods and it would only remain quiet in the house when Lucy was sleeping. Mm-hmm. So like when everyone else would fall asleep, she'd fuck with them. But if Lucy's sleeping, shh, don't talk too loud. Let her sleep. <laughs> so oddly, it also knew any religious references and could also quote scripture, which insinuated that it was not of a demonic source because if it can quote scripture, that's doesn't seem True. demonic, right? That is, yeah, no, that it is also, that's legit. It also sang hymns and carried on intelligent conversation and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Mm. Super weird, right? Mm-hmm, so again, mm-hmm. being in two places at once, very strange. But it evolved at one point and had four voices, which I think is bonkers. And the names of the four voices were Black Dog, Mathematics, Hippography, and Jerusalem. Huh. So apparently, Black Dog assumed to be the head of the family and spoke in a harsh feminine tone. The voices of Mathematics and Hippography were different, but both of a more delicate feminine tone. Mm-hmm. And Jerusalem spoke like a boy. But the awful thing had sworn vengeance and for what cause it never named, nor could anyone ever surmise. But here's where it gets really good. This is when it was like, I'm going to fuck with you even more. All these people are going to bring, you're going to bring all these people to the house. I'm going to make them laugh and think that this is funny and encourage more of it. So that way more people come and see what I am. So there's this character. William Porter. He was a visitor to the Bell home during the time of the spirit's presence. He was a prominent member of society and a good friend to the Bells. And Mm -hmm. when visiting with the Bells, he seemed to be quite agreeable with the witch. And apparently they got along on very good terms or so he thought. Dun, dun, dun. Um, (laughs) One night, the witch followed him home, telling him, quote, Billy, I have come to sleep with you and keep you warm. Whoa. (laughs) Right? To which Porter replied, well, Kate, if you're going to sleep with me, you must behave yourself. Oh, where's the fun in that? (laughs) Right? But then it gets, like, real messed up. So Porter then clung clung to the cover, quote, feeling that it was drawing from him as it appeared to be raised from the bed on the other side and something snake-like crawling under. Somehow this produced a kind of chilly sensation that was simply awful. He jumped out of bed in a second and observing that Kate had rolled up in the cover, the thought struck him. I have got you now, you rascal, and will burn you up. And then he grabbed the blanket (laughs) and attempted to throw it into the fire, but it became so dense and heavy and had a putrid smell that he was forced to drop it and run out of the room. And when he came back, nothing was there. It didn't smell bad. Nothing was in the blanket. It was gone. So, William Porter apparently tried to kill the witch by throwing it into the fire, but it <laughs> had that defense mechanism of, I'm going to be too heavy and stinky, so drop it. <laughs> uh, My cat has the same defense mechanism. <laughs> does it? Really? Does she disappear when you drop her? <laughs> she does. She does, actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Then uh, my this is my favorite story. I don't know if you're ready for my favorite story. I'm ready. This story involves Andrew Jackson. So Andrew Jackson was also a visitor, and he was connected to the Bells because John Bell Jr., Drury Bell, and Jesse Bell, the older boys, they all were um, in General Jackson's army during the Battle of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So they all knew each other. 
And of course, Jackson's hearing about this ghost at this house that has three people that he knows attached to it. And he's like, I got to go. I got to check it out. And while Andrew Jackson was not necessarily the greatest individual, he was a very funny man and had a sense of humor. So his party came in a wagon with all kinds of things to investigate the witch at the bells. And they made it more of like an entertaining moment. Um, (laughs) On their way, they were chattering about what they would do to the witch if it tried to pull a prank on them. Because, of course, everyone's hearing about these pranks that the witch is pulling, right? Right. Just then their wagon stops, dead on their tracks. The road was smooth. There was nothing in the wheels. The horses kept trying to go full speed, not moving the wagon at all. They could not figure out what was keeping the wagon from moving. They literally disassembled the entire wagon and, like, (laughs) took apart the wheels trying to make, to see what happened because they couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, And here's a quote. General Jackson threw his hands up exclaiming, by the eternal boys, it is the witch. I love that. Then came the sound of the sharp metallic voice from the bushes saying, all right, general, let the wagon move on. I will see you again tonight. The men, in bewildered astonishment, looked in every direction to see if they could discover from whence came the strange voice, but could find no explanation to the mystery. General Jackson exclaimed again, By the eternal, boys, this is worse than fighting the British. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That quote's so good. Uh, The wagon then was miraculously able to move, and the horses sped off toward the bell house, but it doesn't stop there. So... One of the men in Jackson's group claimed to be a, quote, witch layer. I feel like every group of friends has one of these. It's someone that thinks that they are, like, everything. Hmm. They're the coolest person. They're super cocky. They know everything, right? Right, right. He thought he could take on the Bell Witch. He literally had a gun with silver bullets and was waving around the tip of a black cat's tail, <laughs> saying that, like, it was a witch's cat, and was telling all these stories about how he had, like, handled this witch and handled that witch and done all these things. And everyone was basically rolling their eyes at this dude. Right. Right. So once they settled down for the evening and everybody went to bed, quote, the same metallic voice was that was heard in the bushes rang out exclaiming, all right, general, I am on hand, ready for business. (laughs) And then I got this. this. I'm ready. And then addressing coach, put me in. (laughs) Are you ready to hear what the witch said? I, I am. I'm really. And then addressing right. the witch layer. Now, Mr. Smarty, here I am. <laughs> Shoot. The seer stroked his nose with the cat's tail, leveled his pistol and pulled the trigger, but it failed to fire. Try again, exclaimed the witch, which he did with the same result. Now it's my turn. Look out, you old coward, hypocrite, fraud. I'll teach you a lesson. The next thing the sound was heard like that of boxing with an open hand. Whack, whack. And the oracle tumbled over like lightning had struck him. But he quickly recovered his feet and went capering around the room like a frightened steer, running (laughs) over everyone in his way, yelling, Oh, my nose, my nose, the devil has got me. Oh, lordy, he's got me by the nose. (laughs) Suddenly, as if by its own accord, the door flew open and the witch layer dashed out and made a beeline for the lane at full speed, yelling every jump. Everybody rushed out under the excitement, expecting the man would be killed. But as far as they could hear up the lane, he was still running and yelling, Oh, Lordy! Jackson dropped down on the ground and rolled over and over, laughing. By the eternal boys, I never saw so much fun in my life. This beats fighting the British. Presently, (laughs) 
<laughs> the witch was on hand and joined in on the laugh. Lord Jesus, it exclaimed. How the old devil did run and beg. I bet he won't come here again with his old horse pistol to shoot me. I guess that's fun enough for tonight, General. And you can go to bed now. I will come tomorrow night and show you another rascal in this crowd. <laughs> I just I just love that story. I think it's so funny. I literally was reading this and giggling like... Why was this not considered comedy in its time? This is so funny. And I think this goes back to like what you were talking about with, you know, documentation in the 1800s mm -hmm. and the way that people wrote things. But come on, Andrew Jackson saying like, oh, Lordy, oh, <laughs> laughing Lordy. at this guy by the eternal. This is better than fighting the British. Like that's it's too much. I just can't. So while there were kind of like spooky things going on, it was also apparently very entertaining and comical. So, yeah, right. there were fun and games, but. It was mainly from the perspective of the visitors. So it didn't stop the torture going on in the house, and Betsy was continuously the same victim. So when she began being harassed, she was like 11 or 12, and was described as a fair child with a figure of a woman at such a young age with piercing blue eyes, fair skin, and golden hair. Mm. The witch tormented her by pulling off her sheets, pulling her out of the bed by a handful of hair, and slapping her in the face multiple times until her cheeks were red and splotchy. But what's interesting is that Betsy never cried. She just screamed from the pain. Aww. things with her worsened and she was affected nightly the weirdest part was that she would be perfectly fine physically after enduring all of her torment as if she healed immediately so this actually proved that Kate didn't want to kill her but just wanted to torture her mm. however John Bell was another story this is a quote. In the meanwhile, the witch manifested a pernicious dislike for father, using the most vile and malignant epithets toward him, declaring that it would torment old Jack Bell to the end of his life. So clearly mm. it was saying, I want to kill John Bell. He complained that his tongue stiffened and swelled so badly that it filled his mouth entirely and prevented him from eating or talking for more than 15 hours. He described it as, quote, feeling like a small stick of wood crosswire in his mouth, pressing out both cheeks. And when he attempted to eat, it would push the victuals out of his mouth, end quote. Hmm. By 1820, he was confined to his home. He started experiencing seizures, was slapped in the face, and every time he tried to walk, his shoes were pulled off, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry, that actually happened. Funny. I, it's fun. It is funny, but like that's the, here's the thing: is you're dealing with a, a spirit that has a sense of humor, right? Clearly, is right. messing with people. Yeah, but then like severely affecting people at the same time. So to pull right. someone's shoes off as they try to walk is funny from someone else's perspective. But if until this guy's it's like, happening to you, exactly. So December nineteenth, eighteen twenty. This is when something pretty serious happened. Brother John was attending to give John Bell medicine and was immediately to the cupboard where he carefully put away the medicines prescribed for him. But instead, he found a smoky looking vial, which was about one third full of dark colored liquid. Mm. No one recognized this vial. They didn't know where it came from. The witch made herself known when she stated, quote, it's useless for you to try to relieve old Jack. I have got him this time. He will never get up from that bed again. Kate was then asked about the vial of medicine found in the cupboard and replied, I put it there and gave old Jack a big dose out of it last night while he was asleep, which fixed him. Hmm. The men then fed whatever was left in the smoky vial to a cat. Sorry, Kim. Aww. And quote, the cat jumped and rolled over a few times, stretched out, kicked and died very quick. Oh, kitty. The witch, I know, I'm sorry. The witch watched in glee and told Drew, 
one of the sons who had just gotten home after all of this mm-hmm. happened, quote, John Jr. found the vial of medicine I put in the cupboard for old Jack and gave the cat some of it. Lord Jesus, how it did make that cat squall jump up, turn over, and die. William stated how father could have gotten it was a mystery that could not be explained in any other way except that testified by the witch. The vial and contents was thrown into the fire and instantly a blue blaze shot up the chimney like a flash of powder. Hmm. John Bell died shortly after that on 1220. And the witch sang a celebratory song about Brandy at his funeral and literally sang the entire time until the funeral was over and mocked him again after his death. So it seemed that the entity had a lot of activity leading up to John Bell's death. And then immediately afterward kind of died down quite a bit. It made it seem like the main purpose of its presence was to kill John Bell. Mm -hmm. And during this time, Betsy had an admirer named Joshua Gardner and she reciprocated his feelings Everyone wanted them to get married. He was only like three or four years older than her. And Mm -hmm. the witch actually tormented her and told her if she married him, she would torment them for the rest of their lives. Oh, wow. And so for the sake of like not wanting Joshua to be tormented, she broke off the marriage or the engagement. And the witch then said, you know, I'm going to come back and see you every, every seven years. And... During that time, too, which was really interesting, Richard Powell kind of swooped in (laughs) and was like, hey, yo, girl. (laughs) And basically took Betsy under his wing and ended up marrying her. So Hmm. that's how that happened. And that's where I was referencing at the time Betsy was 12 or 13. Richard Powell was significantly older than her. He was 11 years older than her. And he was more concerned about the age difference and didn't want anyone thinking anything weird of it. But that's when Lucy was like, oh, that's nothing. (laughs) I was 12 when I married my husband, who's now who was 32 at the time. Um, But anyway, so the witch said that it would appear every seven years. And in 1828, it came back. Apparently, this is what happened. I read this in one source. I don't know how accurate this is. Um, right, but it right. said that apparently it focused its conversation mainly with John Bell Jr. And they talked mm. a lot about, like, the meaning of life, spirituality. It talked about Christianity and different civilizations and all kinds of, like, deep things. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was really accurate with predictions of the Civil War which was interesting. But in one of the books that I read, it also mentioned that Joel and Richard Williams and Lucy were also affected in the sense that it kept pulling the blankets off of them and like messing with them. Like they used to with the scratching the bedposts. But Lucy told everyone not to acknowledge it, to just ignore it and hope it would go away. Um, And after two to three weeks of torture, it finally disappeared and what's really interesting is it, it claimed that it was going to come back in 107 years. Hmm. So 107 years from then would be 1935. And the closest oh. living direct descendant of John Bell would be Charles Bailey Bell, who was a doctor based in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And it nowhere specifies that he was approached at that point in time, but he did write a book in 1934 about okay. the Bell Witch. And hmm. he died in 1945 and there was no follow-up. 
So we don't know okay. if he was actually affected, but he does know that he was related and he wrote, wrote a book about it. Right, right. So what's interesting, too, is when you think about it, everything that happened, again, was talked about. And things continued to happen, but it wasn't as, like, intense as it was during the years of John Bell. Right. That seemed to be where it was mostly focused. Exactly. So people say that they could see the faint um, or faint candle lights dancing in the dark fields late at night. They couldn't identify what it was. You could hear the sounds of people talking in that area. What's really interesting is that that house was actually demolished. Nothing was built on top of it ever again. Um, It's now kind of advertised as a haunted ghost cave, the Bell Witch Mm. Cave. Um, And according to the legend, there's also a source that says that Kate actually saved a child who was stuck in the cave while playing with a group of friends. Oh. Which I don't know if that's accurate. I just heard a story that she said, I'll get him out. (laughs) Someone heard her say that. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) used her invisible hands to help pull him out of a hole he was stuck in. Right. And then apparently scolded the children, (laughs) told them they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, uh, gave them a little lesson on safety, and then uh, disappeared. And (laughs) so, you know, it's interesting because you see the ghosts or the spirit having, like, positive impacts on certain people, joking with certain people, and then, like, literally murdering someone. Um, So you don't really know the intention of the ghost or the spirit. There is a theory. And this theory is actually in the movie American Haunting with Sissy Mm -hmm. Spacek and Donald Sutherland. It's actually pretty accurate for the most part of all the little details of things that happen. Which is impressive for, uh, I mean... Anything, quote-unquote, based on a true story is often yeah. pretty loosely based on the story. So that that's actually kind of remarkable. And when I was reading through it, I actually saw the movie before I did all the research. And mm-hmm. I thought the movie was like, whatever, it's not that great. But then when I was reading through everything and found all the information, I was like, wow, that's actually, they kind of stuck to it. With the exception of one thing. And this is something I want to give, like, a trigger warning, potentially, of, like, sexual abuse. In the movie, it insinuates that John Bell sexually abused Betsy Bell. And there's a quote where I feel like it insinuates that the spirit is Betsy Bell's mind or it's her actually reacting to things. Uh, kind of like poltergeist level? Of, yes. Of, it's actually a manifestation of, of yes. her? Interesting. Yes. yes. And it says, quote, I was born by the union of evil and innocence. Part of her soul died the night John took her innocence. Avenge me. Make him pay for what he's done to us. What's that quote from? From the, mo- from the movie. Oh, from, from the movie. American Haunting, yeah. And what's wild is it shows John Bell is up walking around in the middle of the night, which in the beginning you think is because he hears things and he's investigating it and comments that Lucy Bell sleeps very soundly and doesn't hear things. And then Lucy Bell realizes where he's going and what he's doing, and it's sexually Mm. abusing Betsy. However, it then shows that Betsy is the one to poison John Bell, and that Lucy Bell is watching as she does it and is acknowledging it and okay with it. But this is all from the movie, though. This is all completely fictional. That's why I'm saying this part of the movie 
is not is 100% proven fiction. Right. Anywhere. However, I found an article in USA Today that mm-hmm. talks about um, a psychic. So so still no actual proof. <laughs> exactly. So I just wanted to to pr- I wanted to talk about this because I think it's valid because you're hearing from it from two different points. And mm-hmm. it's in reference to a show that A&E did called Cursed and it's about the Bell Witch. Basically what it talks about is a psychic named Sarah Pugh who chronicled um, a lot of the things that happened with the Bell Witch and visited that place, the location where it happened. Mm-hmm. Apparently, quote unquote, apparently, allegedly, she talks about going there and speaking with um, Betsy and discovers that it wasn't the family that was cursed, but it was the land that was cursed. And the land then caused the family to be cursed because of what they did on the land. Mm-hmm. And Betsy was actually sexually abused by um, John Bell and that a slave was the one to poison John Bell because he couldn't handle seeing that happen any longer. And the way that they hit it was by saying it was the ghost that did it. It was the spirit that did it, not a person. So I don't know how accurate that is. But we have, well, again, that is, there is, uh, I say this with respect to, to mediums um, because I, I have encountered some who I, I think, have done some really excellent work, but there is absolutely zero fact behind that because somebody getting an impulse or a feeling or channeling a spirit. Cool. That is not evidence. That is not fact. And that's literally how witch hunts start. And that's totally, I think a dangerous thing to put out there as I say, this is something that happened like cool. But (laughs) right. Well, but you know, what's interesting, too, is she actually told this to one of the descendants of the Bell family named Bob Bell. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also kind of like, you know, a gray area. You might be offending a family by saying something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so Bob Bell actually said that this perspective, quote unquote, made sense, which I thought was nuts. It is very interesting. And it, it is something that could have happened for sure Uh, in terms of the time period in terms of if he married a 12 year old girl that does say that he does not have a whole lot of uh qualms when it comes to the age of someone right but i also think it's very important to say there is absolutely no proof no there is evidence to back this up and it is purely a theory and that is why we leave it up to you to decide (laughs) Exactly. what you believe. I'm yeah. just finding all the information on it. Another yeah. thing that I thought was really wild was that a lot of people didn't believe in any of this like paranormal stuff during the time. And right. one of the reverends actually thought that someone could have been on the roof of the bell house and <laughs> poked holes that. through the roof and dropped fish hooks through the holes wow. to lift up the the sheets and pull them off of people and that they were um, spitting peas through the holes to hit like Betsy in the face to make it seem like she was slapped. But that was very quickly debunked. Um, Notice when it rains that I'm sorry. They literally, they literally went to the roof to look for holes and couldn't find them. So it was just, I thought it was very funny that they entertained it and actually looked for it. Um, they were kind of doing their due diligence of, of what, debunking. what could be going on. Maybe maybe somebody is just really, really punking us. Right? Well, I mean, 
again, how many, how quickly do people believe that something is paranormal now? Like, even think about back then. I know back then there were way more superstitious people. There's way more scullies out there now than there are molders. However, uh, <laughs> we a keep lot the molders in line. Right? <laughs> That's your job, Kim. Keep me in line. Um, <clears throat> I also think it's really interesting that some people accused Betsy of being the one doing everything. And there was an article that was um, almost published in a magazine publicly while Betsy was still alive. And she got a lawyer and sued the shit out of them and was like, you will not, po- you will not publish this. That's um, slander. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she actually made it very clear that she did not do those things and that she didn't want her name to be defamed. So we wanted to make sure that like in talking about the, the bell, Witch. It is a legend. There are things that that we can't prove. There are things that people go through that are real that they can't even prove. So, you know, believe what you want to believe. It's such an interesting story, though. Did you find anything, Kim, that you wanted to add? Oh, well, I, uh, as you know, I have a deep love of going through newspapers. Uh, And I, I did find an article from the Leaf Chronicle which is in Clarksville, Tennessee, from October 30th, 1997. And it, it it's it's it was in time for Halloween. They were just doing a little, you know, oh hey, this is a local legend. But they talked to a couple uh people who had since said they'd experienced things. So um there was one account in this paper of a woman named Bonnie Hainline, who was uh, native to the area. And she'd had apparently an encounter in uh, 1943. Oh, wow. During World War II. And she was 13 years old. And she used to go to the Bell Witch Cave as a teenager. And uh, this is quoting her story. Every time I went into the cave with a lantern, the light went out. Almost like something or someone was blowing it out. I once heard a loud pounding noise, which I later decided was my own heartbeat. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's fair. That's fair. And uh, there were some um, German POWs who were being held nearby. Oh, no way. And well, and so what she later learned was that some of the prisoners had escaped and they'd been hiding out in the cave. (laughs) Oh, so the, the German POWs are the (laughs) The ones blowing out the The candles. I was attending Bell High School at the time, and I remember going back to school and telling people about my experiences at the cave, and we decided that the Bell Witch was blowing out my lantern because she didn't want me to go into the back of the cave where the German POWs were. So she took it to be that the Bell Witch was protecting her, huh? which I I found really, really interesting. It's here's the thing is like you're talking about based on the information we talked about, this is an unpredictable spirit. It liked some people, but mostly hated everybody. Well, and it, it does <laughs> like because uh, it, it seems like some of the I feel like the Bell Witch was a lot more cool with women. <laughs> Except Betsy. It like Except really Betsy. messed with Betsy. Yeah. But it's it it was interesting because uh I also just appreciate that her mind didn't go to maybe it was the German POWs blowing out who didn't want me to see them. It was no, no, no. She must have been protecting me because she was afraid that I would be hurt by them. And now now there's also and I don't know if you came across this. I found references to something called Bell Witch, the movie. 
Oh, I didn't. No, I want to see yeah. it, though. And because apparently... Uh, it, and it came out, it looks like, in 2005. Uh, and I'm going to now have to go look for this and, and, and see. Apparently, yep. um, the cast members included Betsy Palmer as the voice of the Bell Witch. And for you horror fans in the audience, Betsy Palmer is probably best known as Jason Voorhees' mother, in, in, Pamela Voorhees, in the Friday the 13th movie. Nerd the original. Moment. Nerd, nerd, nerd alert. Listen, you know who <laughs> uh, and, and Betsy Palmer has since passed away, but uh, apparently there was a movie done in, in looks like in 2005, and it was called Bell Witch the Movie. Uh, and it looks like it was probably fairly indie from, from the pictures I'm looking at, but I enjoy a good indie horror film so i'm gonna have to check this one out because now i am intrigued we're gonna we're gonna check this out in fact uh we should watch it this week watch it together should watch, should watch it together and report back to the people at home yes. what what we think of it but this is a a really interesting story yeah so There's did you learn something kim i did learn something uh, i was gabby and i were talking before we started recording and and this was a a story i had a passing knowledge of as i think anybody who is into ghosts and weird things has a passing knowledge of the story but i've never gone down the rabbit hole with it and so i was really excited to learn more about it uh and now i kind of want to read those books so i you might be stealing them. those for you that's fine. I have to say, every time I've done any kind of research in a historical haunting or anything that has required historical research, right. it's kind of boring usually, and it's hard to get through. And it's very dry. Yeah, it's super dry. These books, I was literally reading them out loud to my boyfriend as I was reading them, so I was like, oh my god, look how crazy this is. Isn't this nuts? And meanwhile, like, he can't watch a horror movie before bed because he gets nightmares, and I'm sitting in bed reading before bed this oh, stuff, reading it out loud, so, you know, there's that. But it's actually very, it's very well done, um, and I highly recommend them. It's, like, one of those historical hauntings that you can really know that it was written not in the intention of entertainment. It was written right. in the intention of documentation. And I think when you read something that way, it almost makes it scarier because it's just for documentation purposes but not right. intended yeah. to like scare you even though it's it's because it, it seems more real so as people that investigate haunted locations as people that really seek out those haunted stories we appreciate when it feels more real than than fraud fraudulent yeah so yeah well, and I, I also appreciate, I mean, we've talked about this before, too, that a lot of ghost stories, um, because it's it's what can make it hard to kind of pick and choose the ones to cover, is that yeah. when it comes down to it, the ghost story itself, the activity itself is, I don't know, things move around, people hear noises, maybe see an apparition. Yeah. And it's, it's not, they don't all come with this big, grand... Uh, group of activity that sounds so centered and, and, and there's so much to unpack here. Like most of them are not quite this epic. <laughs> I know. I think epic is the best way to describe this episode because I, I mean, and then we could also pull a molder moment and say, what kind of spirit has full blown conversations with people? Because like we haven't experienced that personally. No. 
Unless um, we're again looking at at this from a, a less of a traditional. This is not a a traditional haunting of a spirit that's passed, but a a, a witch who's like, I'm I'm I am upset with you and yeah. and more targeted. And again, possible. I hate the word demonic haunting, but more of a potentially malicious. Entity. Malicious. I like that. Malicious is better. And also, again, we don't know if it was a witch or not. It just, yeah. for the history of that time, that was the thing that made the most sense for the people going through it based on yeah. Kate Batts. And Kate yeah. Batts was a badass. We like her. <laughs> I was going to say, again, I, I, I want to have whiskey with her. I'm not going to lie. I think so, I feel cool. <laughs> I think we should start calling you Kim Batts. <laughs> Hashtag find Kim a nickname. Yay, I love it. We do before we go away. Yes. We have a, a request from our listeners. What is it, Kim? Well, we have uh, heard from some of you who have some really cool stories of your own. So one of the things we're going to start doing at the beginning of our episodes is each episode, we're going to be picking a story that has been shared with us to uh, share with all of you. So if you have a encounter, if you have an experience, if you live in a haunted house or have lived in a haunted spot, or there was even a local legend when you grew up, please uh, write us, share with us. Uh, send us a message on Instagram or Twitter or lay Facebooks. Uh, and, and maybe, just maybe, your story will make its way onto an episode. You can also send it to us via email um, at Gabby, G-A-B-I, at ghoulishtendencies.com, if you would rather do email, too. You have many options. All the options. But yes, oh. it'll be super fun. I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what we get from you guys. So please send yeah, us some stuff. Too. Um, having said that, follow us on Instagram at <laughs> Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. That's where you can send us a message there. On Facebook at Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. For show notes, references, and all episodes, you can visit our website at www.ghoulishtendencies.com. Mm-hmm. You can follow our Twitter at Ghoulish Podcast. Mm-hmm. Please, again, send us your ghost stories. You can send it to us at Gabby, G-A-B-I, at ghoulishtendencies.com or on any of the other platforms. And most importantly, please subscribe, follow, rate, review. We appreciate all of those things. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do that. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Um, literally anywhere you listen to podcasts. So um, give us a holler and um, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you guys. So having said that, stay spooky.